Today's episode was brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Try Squarespace at squarespace.com and enter offer code tech at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Just a heads up, today we'll be talking about sex and lots of things around sex. So if that makes you uncomfortable or if you have a young person in the room who maybe isn't ready for this conversation, uh, take that into consideration. I discovered virtual sex because I started doing nude modeling when I was 18. Uh, I started modeling for a site based in Boston, and one of the things I did in addition to just nude modeling was webcam shows. So also, also this was before streaming video, which will come into play later in the story. Um, So if you were doing, say, the equivalent of streaming video, what you were actually doing was kind of creating a digital flipbook where you were uploading still images at a rate of about every 15 seconds, one every 15 seconds um, for people who were paying to watch this show. And for a while, I got kind of burned out on doing regular shows. So I was doing, I started doing private shows where I would get paid a set amount of money and I would create this private web page for the person who paid me and I would IM them and just set it up for them. So one person contacted me and he was, well, he was a little bit more fetish oriented. And he was specifically interested in a pissing show where, as you might imagine, I, in the course of doing a strip tease, would pee on camera for his viewing pleasure. And I was I was totally down. I'm very open minded. I'm fine with doing a lot of different things. We set up the show and, you know, it got started just like a totally normal show. And then at one point, I'm like, okay. Okay, I gotta pee. I gotta pee on camera. And I discovered that I get pee shy. And it was this, like, horrible shock because I'm in the middle of this show that someone has paid me for, and I have to figure out a way to make this happen one way or the other. you can't give them a refund. Right. I mean, theoretically you could, (laughs) but that's just weird. Um, I'd be like, ah, sorry, I can't perform. Here's your money back. No, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. But, again, now you have to remember that this wasn't streaming video. It was this, like, 15-second or 10-second or whatever lag um, that made it a little bit easier to obscure, shall we say, what was happening. So I, being a very resourceful young woman, uh, took it, like, figured out very quickly. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fake this. And I already had a bottle of water because I had been, like, drinking water to get myself to need to pee. So I don't remember the exact specifics of how I did it, but I think it was partly, like, I poured water into a bowl in a way that it might look like it was coming from me, and then I just focused on my face and, like, what I assumed would be the kind of face I should be making if I were just, like, orgasmically peeing for this show. And um, he was very happy, so, you know, it all worked out. Maybe it was even better that way because you were so in the performance. Right, right. 
ultimately that's what he wants. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing about porn. You know, people talk about like, oh, I want to see real orgasms. I want to see this. I want to see that. But, you know, sometimes people's real orgasms aren't as interesting looking as the ones that they fake, you know, as a bottle of water, as a bottle of water, right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes what you really want, and I mean, you know, tying back to the theme for today, um, I think sometimes what you really want in virtual sex is this crafted illusion and not the reality. And welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from The Verge. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant, and I will be your host. Today, I am joined by Lux Albtrom, a sex tech consultant, and we are going to be talking about virtual sex. Uh, And we're going to kick it off right there, because that was an amazing story to start the show on. Um, Lux, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. What is virtual sex and, like, top-level broadest sense? So virtual sex in the most broad sense is any kind of sexual encounter that uses technology to create intimacy rather than two people physically being in the same space. So I want to get this stuff out of the way because uh, it's the stuff that I always see on 2020. (laughs) Um, but, But what are the criticisms of virtual sex? So I think the criticisms of virtual sex are really the criticisms that we see of any kind of technology. Any kind, anytime technology cre- takes a bigger place in our lives, we see these criticisms. So you see, oh, it's killing intimacy. People don't want to talk to one another anymore. They just want to look at screens. They're not actually engaging with one another. There's the death of actual relationships. We're all just locking ourselves in our rooms with our devices and we're never speaking to another person ever again. I mean, and you see this with you see this with ebooks, you see this with the internet, you see it with cell phones. There's always this kind of tech panic um, about how we're all going to become just robots who don't talk to people ever again, and it's going to be the Matrix. Um, and and because we also have sex panics about any kind of sexual trend, you have this combination of both a sex panic and a tech panic that just really creates a whole bunch of media hysteria. I'm not going to lie. Tech panic sounds so boring. Yeah. Sex panic sounds amazing. <laughs> That is a great phrase. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, it's frustrating because it's usually just hysteria about how we're all crazy sluts. Yeah, Um, and not just all people going at it like rabbits in the street, which would be much better. Um, What are the benefits of virtual sex? So I think one of the really nice things about virtual sex, which again extends to other kinds of um, technologically mediated communication, is that it allows for people to feel intimacy with one another when they're not together. So if you are in a relationship, whether that's a serious relationship or a casual relationship or a one-night relationship, and you want to feel close to someone but you are physically separate, you can be intimate with one another. Uh, You can either have like a really long, drawn-out sexual scenario that you're texting each other or you can just send someone a hot picture, or however you want to do it, you can remind someone uh, who's very far away that you are thinking about them, that you want to be intimate with them, and you you can both experience some sexual pleasure. And I think that's really lovely. Um, I think having that option 
is a really, really great thing. Yeah, it's it's weird to think of this being antagonized by anyone. <laughs> like the idea of anything that brings intimacy to other people being a bad thing. I, I don't know. I, it's curious. It, I, I'm, I'm curious why it... Uh, I don't know the right word for it, but has been seen as almost shameful or almost laughable for so long. Like why it, it, it's, it was almost a punchline. Like I think of ASL as uh, right. the punchline of the 90s and, and why that is a punchline, but not all the other weird, crazy things we did on chat rooms back in the day. So I think there's a couple of things. One is that we are afraid of change and we are afraid of technological change. As much as we love it and embrace it, we are also just fundamentally afraid of it. And so when you see when you see texting and you again you see it with just texting replacing emailing or whatever technological change you have there's this fear that oh this new thing has to be inferior and it's going to replace these better things and that is bad. Uh we're also really uncomfortable around sex and we're uncomfortable around sex that doesn't look like two married heterosexual people in a room with the lights off. So when you talk about like people going to AOL chat rooms and looking for very casual encounters that are technologically mediated, I think there is this cultural assumption, even though it's not true, that there is this cultural assumption that anyone who is doing that, A, is unable to get a IRL relationship, and B, must be some crazy sick pervo because all they're thinking about is sex. And that's not true. I mean, there's many different reasons why someone might have, in the 90s or thousands or whatever, gone and pursued just a casual sexual encounter in a chat room. Um, I don't think it's that different than someone pursuing a casual sexual encounter on Craigslist or Tinder or OkCupid. And in some ways, it's really safer, uh, because you're not actually engaging in physical sex and therefore not opening yourself up to the physical risks of sex. But for some reason, we have it in our heads that, you know, oh, it's somehow more normal, quote unquote, uh, to maybe pick someone up at a bar and have a one night stand or find someone on Tinder than to find someone in a chat room and just engage in this uh, digital virtual sex. I think part of that is just because in our heads, like, oh, physical sex, that makes sense. But virtual sex, well, that's just weird because it's not actual sex. So what are some of the predecessors of virtual sex? Because like where my head goes is I know a number of presidents were really into like writing filthy letters, just like the best type of dirty and sexy stuff to women who weren't their spouses. Um, is that is that vir virtual sex? I mean, I would say anytime you're using whatever technology exists at the um, in your era to create a sexual experience of some sort, then yeah, that's virtual sex. I think filthy le letter writing is absolutely virtual sex, um, especially if it's just filthy letters that you are writing to one specific person. Um, my immediate thing that I think of when we say predecessors to virtual sex um, uh, is phone sex because I think phone sex was definitely the direct predecessor of what we used to call cyber sex. But, yeah, I mean, I can't speak to what people were doing in the Egyptian era. I don't know if people were uh, carving 
tablets with naughty messages for their partners. <laughs> Only uh, the finest hieroglyphs. Right, I know, right? <laughs> uh, but but I think that people have found a way to imbue uh, casual experiences with sex or imbue things that aren't necessarily them actually having sex with someone with sexual undertones to communicate desire, maybe get a thrill, maybe have a sexual experience by proxy for themselves. Like, I'm sure, you know, we really like sex. We find ways to to appreciate it and enjoy it even when we're not having it. I think that was a quote of Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, oh, yeah? That sex finds a way. It's my favorite yeah. moment in Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, actually, absolutely. that's true. That because that is how, how that is, the that's dinosaur, how life finds a way. That, that's literally how life finds a way. Wow, it never it all comes together. Um, <laughs> you mentioned cybersex. For people who don't know the difference, who this is me. Uh, when I was emailing you about this episode, there is a difference between cybersex and virtual sex. Uh, cybersex, I guess, is a subgenre or a subcategory. Yeah. Um, can you explain that? Yeah. I... I hate the term cybersex because it's so dated and dumb sounding. Like anything with cyber is like, okay, you you were in the nineties. You were alive in the nineties. <laughs> or and you're that's a CSI say, show. <laughs> right, right. It's like nobody uses the word cyber. And I personally, and this um this may relate to another conversation we're gonna have, but I personally think that cybersex and sexting are effectively the same thing. Um obviously we mostly use sexting to talk about text message, but because I like the word sexting better than I like the word cybersex, um, I just am like, let's throw out cybersex and just call it all sexting. But that said, cybersex came to prominence in the 90s, and it specifically was referring to when it when it first came to fruition, it was referring to like instant message sex, basically. So either in a chat room or just a private IM, you creating a sexual encounter the same way that you would have in phone sex, but through instant message. So just describing what you're wearing, talking about what you're going to do to another person, creating this whole fantasy. I think that we could justify calling Skype sex and kind of one-on-one cam show type experiences cyber sex uh, because cyber is the internet. And so if it's internet-mediated sex, then I think it, it's fair to call it cyber sex. But again, I just hate that term. So I don't, I don't like, I don't like any kind of cyber whatever because yeah. it's it's just of a very specific time and it's... It's like paleo-futurism at this point. <laughs> we we, we talked about this before the podcast, how you have not seen Lawnmower Man. That can just and be this whole episode. I won't get into the just plot. Just a recap of Lawnmower, of Lawnmower Man. Man. But let me assure you, it is... It, 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 would, <laughs> it would be a five-hour episode. But, like, whenever I picture, the like, the word cybersex when it comes into my head... In Lawnmower Man, they have VR sex, and oh, it's God. like I don't know, nineteen ninety four level computer animation, and that's like my mental image forever of what cybersex is. Is like basically nineteen ninety four quality yeah, computer not, animation I mean, human yeah. models just kind of like no, groping against no, each other. And- I just think it's when I hear ideal. the word cyber, I just think of people wearing like shiny helmets with wires coming out of them. Or those like virtual reality bodysuits that have uh, that are yeah, leather and also Cronenberg have wires. Film. It's very like Matrixy. 
<laughs> um, you mentioned camming. Uh, what is camming? Because the mm -hmm. kind of what we were describing earlier yeah, is like there one are. one so, just through Skype. Generally, when people talk about camming, camming they're talking about what someone is doing for money. Uh, obviously, you can just set up a webcam and do whatever, but if someone describes themselves as like a cam girl or a cam boy, what they generally mean at the in this uh, in this day and era is that they have an account on some sort of site like My Free Cams or oh I don't pay attention to all the sites, so that's the main one I know right now. But let's say they have an account on My Free Cams, they can log in and connect their webcam to the website. So if you go to their page, they're broadcasting a show. Now, a lot of times what happens, the reason why my free cams is free is you can just go and not pay any money, um, and you can watch someone performing on their cam. Usually, those people will not initially be doing anything. Um, if they're not making any money, they're just going to sit and sit around in their clothes. But if people who are watching their camera start bidding or start putting in money, once they reach a certain level of credits, they might start disrobing, they might start doing sexual things, they might start doing whatever. And they always have the option to go in off into a private room, which is, of course, a virtual room, with a member who pays them to do a private show. So it's oftentimes... With camming, it's one direction. You're not necessarily, uh, if you are the viewer or the person who's paying money, you're not necessarily broadcasting yourself. It's not like Skype sex. You're just watching the other person on their cam. Now, sometimes it's two ways, but a lot of times when we think of camming, we're really thinking about a voyeur and a performer. Um, we already talked about how cyber sex is not a good word. The next word is a word I love, but I have a feeling will age like cybersex and one day we'll feel awful for liking this word. But teledildonics. Oh, I think that's already aged. Oh, no. But at See, least, I, I mean, had a feeling like I, I felt guilty even even setting up the hype. It's cool. Well, because it's I mean, so first of all, I don't know if you know this, but the other name for teledildonics is cyberdildonics. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just ruined it for you. Um, but teledildonics actually dates back to like 1990. So it's already an old term. It's not a new term. Is there like a new version of it that like I can sound real hip when I'm uh, talking about teledildonics? Yes. The industry, one of like the new terms that I've heard using is haptic sex. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds like that will age in five years. Right. But right now, like, sure. haptic sex is the one that doesn't totally, like, uh. But I still say teledildonics. Um, teledildonics is very interesting. I, I tend to think that it is a bit... It's a bit overhyped. Um, you know, it was something that when... When all the virtual reality hype began uh, in the 90s, we had this whole idea of, oh, teledildonics, that's going to happen. That's a future thing. And, you know, we're really bad at predicting the future, like always, always really bad at predicting the future. But this sounded like, oh, this is a thing that's clearly that's going to happen. Oh, and, wait, we should probably explain what it is for. Right. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> teledildonics. I get, I get away from me. Teledildonics is, let's say, advanced virtual sex, um, <laughs> where in addition to communicating and telling people how you feel and 
all of that, you have sex toys specifically that are controlled remotely through the internet. So you have whatever stimulator is going to stimulate you. I have whatever is going to stimulate me. And we can each remotely control those devices for, oh, for each other. So I'm not just stimulating my remote partner with images or words. I'm actually remotely controlling the device that is giving them physical pleasure. Would, so, you, would you mind yes. if I shared my favorite of any piece of uh, sex technology that I've ever seen with you? No, it, tell may, me. Maybe you've seen this because it's, it is the greatest metaphor um, for a men's uh, uh, a, a, I guess a stereotypical men's relationship with sex. <laughs> um, so there is a device for first-person shooter games that is haptic, uh, and uh-huh. it's like a gun that plugs into a giant globe, and you can move, aim the gun around, and it, it aims around on the screen, and when you fire it, it like has force feedback that feels like a real gun pushing back against you, and it kind of messes with your aim. But this company <laughs> ripped the gun loose um, from the globe and, and basically put a fleshlight there instead. Um, so you uh, have sex with the globe, and then it is essentially firing a, a gun's recoil um, in response to someone else uh, you know, across the internet controlling that recoil. And huh. it's, it's bizarre. Um, that they literally were like, you know what? Guns and, and, and crotches, that's, that's the way to go. That's, I mean, that's well, going to be our big winner. Well, let's be serious. I mean, guns are a symbol for the penis. Oh, I mean, so, of course. Like, <laughs> let's be, let's, let's make it very explicit. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's one kind. Um, there, there have been a couple over the years. Um, none of them have... I would say like the most successful ones that I know about um and and successful is funny to say because they're both defunct now. Um <laughs> uh, most recently there was the Real Touch which it looks so it's it's a really ugly device. It's just like this big beige plastic tube with this slit um and you open it up and it's got like tractor wheels in it. Um and and it's also it's self lubricating. All I've been told it uses a lot of lube because there's a lube chamber. And initially it was created to sync with uh, coded porn clips. So you plug it into your computer, you watch a POV porn, and as the performer is filleting you, or not you, but their co-star, or as the uh, stand-in for you in the porn, since it's POV porn, is having sex with their partner, the stimulation created by the real touch changes. So it's supposed to be like, oh, this is now you're getting a blowjob, now you're uh, having sex with someone, now you're having anal sex, whatever. So that was the original version of the device. Then it became a haptic sex device where they made it so that they created a dildo that could be connected to it remotely and your remote partner could stimulate the dildo and that would stimulate the um, real touch. So if they could touch it with their fingers, they could insert it inside themselves in whatever orifice they want. They could do whatever they want. It's supposed to create like a sexual like experience for you. Theoretically, it could be pleasurable for both partners but it was pretty clear 
that the like real uh, technology of the experience was going in the sleeve, not in the dildo. Um, so that that's one. There was I know there was the simulator, which was very popular, which I think was designed for women, but I'm not as familiar with um, with that one. I think it was just like a vibrator that could be remotely controlled. Um, there was the thrill hammer, which I don't think ever became a commercial no device. That was a, yeah, it was, that's a real name. Somebody sold yeah, something. You can look it up. You can look it up. It was the thrill hammer. Ugh. I don't know the specifics of how it worked, but I do know the whole reason I know about it at all was that in 2005, Violet Blue gave some talk about teledildonics and she was in San Francisco and there's a thrill hammer in New York City at the Museum of Sex and she was like remotely controlling it to get someone off. And there were all kinds of like technical problems and it didn't work, but they <laughs> successfully brought the girl to orgasm eventually. So, you know, it's just like real sex. Um, <laughs> Every time you said thrill hammer, it, it felt worse. Like... <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I, I was like, no, I'm ready for it this time. No, I feel horrible. No. And then these days, there's also, um, there's also, oh, my bod has the blue motion, which is like a panty vibe that does a lot of things, but can be remotely controlled. There's a couple, there's a couple of things on the market. And generally speaking, I'm, I'm skeptical of teledildonics for a couple of reasons. Uh, but, you know, I can always be proven wrong. I, I never say, like, I'm 100% right on all this. But historically, I think the problem with teledildonics has been that we – the situations in which you would use such a device are pretty limited. Um, it's about – it's often like your partner is out of town, your partner is away from you, whatever. There's fairly limited situations in which it's really useful. And the devices that have come out so far have been very expensive. Like the Real Touch, especially, it was like already like two hundred dollars or something like that, and then you had to keep paying a subscription fee, something <laughs> like that. It was like, and maybe if you were using it one on one, you wouldn't have to do the subscription fee, but it was still like already like one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars, uh. which is a significant amount of money to spend on something that's only useful. When you're in a long distance relationship. And so I think for a lot of us, this idea of like, I'm going to invest a significant chunk of change in something that maybe has limited utility, it's just not interesting enough. Uh, and, you know, there's all there's this kind of floor on the price of sex toys where they're not really going to get that cheap. Like you're not going to get a $50 teledildonics device for a number of reasons. Um and I think the amount of money that people are expected to spend on something, it it just makes it hard. Find, it just from a market perspective, it makes it hard for it to take off. Now, I have heard arguments that say, you know, we're getting more technically inclined. Our sex lives are increasingly connected to our digital lives because our digital lives are just our lives. And so young people are going to be more interested and it's going to seem more normal and more natural to them to do teledildonics type stuff. And maybe that is the case, but it still, it still requires a situation in which this toy adds so much to the experience that it is worth paying X amount of money rather than just using your own toy and texting someone. You know, I mean, the reason why sexting take, took off was because you didn't have to pay extra money to sext. 
you had a smartphone that you bought for all these other reasons, and it, there was a secret sexual purpose <laughs> to it. You didn't have to, like, buy this device that maybe you were ashamed to be seen with that said, I'm a giant pervert because I have sex and I think about buying things for sex, you know? I think I yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that makes sense. I think that kind of loops back as you predicted, to what we we're going to talk about with sexting. I have, I have one final question, and this is mm-hmm. we're going into the, into the future. This may be the second episode in a row in which we talk about the ending of the movie AI, where people are robots. I love the future. Um, is, there is no... Oh, I guess, I guess there's Gigolo Joe. I was going to oh, say yeah. there's no sexting oh, in yeah. AI, but there's, there's Gigolo Yeah, there's Joe. like uh, a <laughs> weird sex... I, I'm trying to like where... I'm not even going to go down that road. Um, is... Is virtual sex and things like teledildonics gradually making us comfortable with the idea of having sex with machines or robots or something that I, with bots, probably already exist, having sex with AI? So, okay. So this is really, for me, two separate questions. There's, like, sex with robot and sex with, like, camming chatbots, Right. I am very, very bearish on this whole sex with robots thing. I think I see I actually wrote a piece about this uh, once because I felt like I was constantly seeing the this assumption that we are definitely going to have sex with robots and sex with robots is coming. And no pun intended. <laughs> um, and it was always men who were like boldly waving the flag. <laughs> this is definitely the future. And I was like, men don't buy sex toys. For a variety of reasons, but generally speaking, the sex toy market is driven by women. And women are not—the women I have spoken to are, generally speaking, not interested in sex robots. So why would a very expensive technology that's not of interest to the bulk of the consumers in a market suddenly become, like, the dominant product? Like, that doesn't make any, any sense to me. Um, And and generally speaking, okay— I think that someone, someone I'm sure has already had sex with a robot because there was this uh, product, Roxy True Companion, Roxy spelled with three X's, that was a sex robot that came out a few years ago. And it was basically, she was basically just like a real doll with some robotic components. Um, I'm sure somebody had sex with her at some point. (laughs) And, you know, it didn't take off because it's expensive and it's of limited interest. I I absolutely think there are people who want to have sex with robots and there are people for whom sexually being involved with an item of technology is very exciting. And that itself is the fetish. I think most of us, while it might be something we would want to in, well, it might be something like, oh, I want to see what it's like or I want to try it or I might try it once. I think we like having connections with human beings. And to me, the driving force, like the underlying message behind, like, I really want to have sex with robots, if that's like your real, real goal, is this desire to have a lifelike partner that seems human who you completely control. Um, that, that's where maybe that's I'm not saying that's everyone's motivation. But to me, like, that's the underlying thing about, like, why would you want to have sex with a robot who seems exactly like a human being unless it's somehow like amazingly just way better at sex? <laughs> Um, I feel like the main thing is they'll do whatever I want and I don't have to worry about free will. Um, but but just again, going back to business uh, and regardless of whether or not people want to do it, um, what it is the potential market so big 
that it is worth a company investing a ton of R&D money in creating a robot that's designed for sex? And I think the answer is no. Uh, I think if we have sex with robots, the reason it's going to come about is because robots, super lifelike robots, which are created for some other purpose, are going to get to the point where it's cheap enough to produce them that you can make one that's also for sex. Um, So it's going to kind of be an also in addition to, in the same way that sexting is kind of piggybacking on the smartphone revolution. Nobody, Apple wasn't like, we're going to make this amazing device that allows people to send naked pictures to their partners. That was not what happened. They were like, we're going to make this amazing device that allows people to do business, communicate with their families, do all this stuff. And then also it happens that it's great for sex. And I think that's kind of if we get sex robots, you're going to see it that way. You're going to see people being like, I made this super lifelike robot that does all this other stuff. And then someone hacked it so that they can also have sex with it. Now, AI is a different thing. Because when we're talking about AI, A, that's already getting to the point where because it's easier to do AI than just a robot. If we're talking about like disembodied AI, um, I think we're already working on that. We're already creating like conversation bots because it's useful for customer service, because it's useful for all sorts of other purposes that are just in our daily life. I think we're getting to the point where, you know, that doesn't require as much investment to do something like that. And it's not hard to see someone creating that uh, as a sexual um, as a sexual platform. And it's not hard to see someone pairing that with, say, a CGI cam girl or cam boy. So it might get to a point where you're not interacting with an actual human. You are watching a really good CGI depiction of a person who's got AI and just interacts with you. And let's be serious. Uh, the level of AI needed to have a successful <laughs> sexual encounter is relatively low. Like you're not gonna have you're not gonna have to have some dissertation on Kierkegaard uh, going on here. Like you're gonna be able to have a pretty basic conversation in order to create a sexual virtual a successful virtual sexual experience. And I a long chat about Proust. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, sure. that is some people. Some people want to chat about Proust during sex, but many of us, I think, you know, there's. You're going to have to just recognize what are appropriate responses to certain sexual commands, and it's not going to be that hard. I mean, you would, I think, if you wanted to go, like, totally virtual, you would definitely have to get CGI past the point of the uncanny valley so that it would actually look like a person. But I think, you know, it's not—it's fairly near future that we could get to that point. But I will say that I think that if we get to the point where that becomes a thing and people realize that it's a thing— you're going to have a backlash where people want to have uh, real cam girls and where like a cam girl that can prove that she's real is going to be able to charge a higher premium than a service that is just feeding up AI cam girls uh, because, you know, it's like it's like the artisanal chair <laughs> movement, like people. As much as we love technology and as much as we enjoy technology and get off on technology, we simultaneously have this desire for things that have a human touch. And knowing that something is handmade and knowing that that's an actual person, especially with sex, I think, I think you know, if you have an AI bot or a robot that's going to do whatever you want just because that's how it's programmed, 
it does get tiring after like maybe there's a temporary thrill or maybe you are someone who like you just need to have your way all the time so like that's just all you want but i think i think consent and free will are very sexy and even if you know that someone is just doing this because you're paying them they are still opting to do it because you're paying them and there's still like that's a form of control for you but it's still a consensual form of control and i think just knowing that someone is choosing to have sex with you not that someone's programmed to have sex with you is pretty hot yeah i think that is a really great place to wrap up just because i like the mental image of a not so distant future in which the streets of los angeles and brooklyn are empty because uh everyone is inside being artisanal cam boys and cam girls <laughs> that, that is that is exactly the future that i want to see um thank you so much for joining me thank you it was a pleasure having this conversation and thank you for listening uh this has been another episode of what's tech we are here every tuesday you can find more of us on theverge.com you can find us on twitter at what's tech and you can find the show on plenty of podcast platforms we always recommend itunes because you can leave a review there and it does a lot to help us spread the word about the show thank you again and we will talk to you later bye